Worried you'll need to babysit your robot vacuum? Think again. Meet Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum with AI-powered navigation to recognize and avoid over 100 objects. It's the winner of five Best of CES awards. And Digital Trends says it boasts almost all the same features as robot vacuums that cost twice as much. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's E-U-F-Y.com. And discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. I'll introduce everyone now. We've got Justin Waller, international businessman, multimillionaire, good friend of the Tates. Andrew said, yo, come to dinner. This dude's a multi-multi-millionaire, like big boss. Like, He's leaving you because you're Fuck the money, I'm already rich. If I could stroke a check for a million dollars cash right now and that feeling would go away, I would write the check. And uh, Stephen Ronald Bell, who went from gamer, Counter-Strike player, I've been told, yeah. to soldier, prisoner, multi-millionaire. It's a long way So some crazy stuff's gone down. You know, I've been through a lot of stuff and I'm worth eight figures now. I remember I just looked at I had a million dollars in the bank and I'm like, oh, I'm a millionaire, like in cash. People would just come running in and be like, well done, like congratulations, you're a now cash millionaire. Thanks for coming on, guys. Uh, we've just been together at a secret meeting uh, in Dubai. I'm here with Dario, been traveling together. He owns a seven-figure business in the UK. How I wanted to start is, is basically, I think a lot of guys have problems 18 to 35. They're, they're doing the wrong things. They're stepping, on, they're stepping on minds and just blowing themselves out of the game. I was hoping we could get together and give them some value on, on, on the things to avoid. And I wanted to start that off with saying, a lot of guys will look at you two and think that you were always like this. And I've seen through your story that that's not the case. So just starting with you, Justin, how did things start for you? And what are some of the hardships you've come through to get to where you are today? So obviously, like, there was probably a rough childhood growing up. Or I've talked about that deeply. Um, but at the same time, there's no trauma that attaches to that, you know, childhood situation. It, w- it would be like Stephen saying that it was he's traumatized by the time he was spit in prison, right? you get better from and these are gifts that you're given. So the first thing I think that you look at is like, okay, if you had a rough start, like I had a rough start, if you can reframe that and repackage that as, you know, those things happen, this is what I learned from it and move forward. I think that's really important. And so for me, when I've met challenges, whether it was in my personal life as a child coming up or growing up in a place that was a bit more ignorant, you know, not understanding how the world actually works, 
you know, you just, you just had to push through and overcome or you had to play the hand that you're dealt. And for me, playing the hand that I was dealt was to be really good at sports, get out of my hometown, see what I could find out about the world and put myself in a position to start my businesses. And what I did to overcome a bit of the ignorance that's going to be in South Louisiana, not that the people there are stupid, but ignorant, there's a difference, is I spent a lot of time online with watching podcasts, reading books, authors, uh, to separate myself from what I would have had to go home to otherwise, right? So I was just pushing against that thing as hard as I could until I could get it rolling. And once I got into my mid-20s, the business was doing multi-seven figures. I no longer had to look at my debit card when I swiped it. And then I'd run into growth issues. And as I would run into growth issues, I'd just continue to grow based off of whatever problem I was having at the time, whether it be in hiring management staff and hiring the wrong person and losing money. I got down a million dollars once in my business. Well, I'll say, okay, well, I could, I could get upset about that and quit. Or I could say, okay, there's something I can go solve. And so as I would run into problems as I was scaling, I would say, okay, there's a new problem. And it would force me into a new competency as I got higher and higher up, up the ladder and building my businesses. Now, because I went through one business all the way. And I think people make this mistake. They build a business a little bit and they run into a problem and they go start another business. If you'll see it through scaling, you're going to go into the next business and you've already gone through the scaling things. The next problem you're going to run into, the lines of credit, the insurance, the things that are going to really, really move the needle when it comes to profit margin. So for me, I made a decision to make sure that no matter what I did on the side or whatever, I kept watering the main flower all the way until it bared fruit. And now that company has bared fruit and I'm buying real estate and I have 160 doors in the last six months. We're developing properties. I'm doing this stuff online where the main business, the one that I watered all the way through my 20s, is paying me whether I work in it or not. And I think that's what's most important that guys do is they need to go ahead and take those punches. And Stephen will tell you this. You can fight an orthodox fighter and take the jab and then take the cross, then slip the jab, duck the cross, and then take the hook. But if you go fight a lefty because you got hit a couple times, you're going to take those jabs and crosses from that lefty now. That southpaw is going to hit you with theirs, and that's what happens to people when they change industry. They go, they're like, fuck this, I'm getting my ass whipped, and they go jump in another industry. Guess what? That industry is going to have things that are going to hit you in the mouth as well. And so one thing I'm really proud of when I was having my struggles is I stepped I stepped stayed in the same business and stayed on the same path because I knew every time I took a lick, that might've been the lick that knocked my competition out. So Nice. And for you, Stephen, I, I know a few things about what's happened sort of in your life. Your story is very fascinating to me. Just the things that you've gone through. What, what were some defining moments? Cause I think there's a lot of young guys that bad things happen to them and they think they're down and out and it's not the case. It's the, it's the things that make you a man. So what are a few of those for you? Yeah, for me, it's, it's much the same as Wallace's. It's about the reframe. You know, if there's something happens and it, you don't dwell too much on the negative, you look at it as a potential, like another door that's open. So everything that's happened to me that had, would be at the time the worst thing that had ever happened to me, you know, going to prison or I was in the army and I ultimately would get kicked out of the army and things like that. I had an accident just before I was due to go overseas. So I was excited about going overseas, making you know 80K for eight months. At that time, that was massive amounts of money to me. But then instead I had an accident that ultimately I would end up out of the army. And that was hard on me because my dad was in the army. So I, I always thought when I had to leave there and go back to my dad, I would be embarrassed because he was in the military himself. So he wouldn't really understand that I didn't stay in there a lot longer. So at that time, you know, the, those sort of moments were incredibly difficult, but those are the things that sort of built the substance inside. So now if I'm in a moment that's hard, 
if I'm, you know, in the ring or something and boxing and it gets a bit challenging or something, I have a massive amount of things to reach into and I look and I think this actually isn't really anything. You know, I've been through a lot of stuff. So I look at it now as, yeah, much like Wooler, it's all the reframe. You know, you can either have something happen like going to prison and a lot of people, they go to prison and that's, they're destroyed. Like that's the end because they get there. It's very negative. There's lots of like substances. It's easy to just be on substances every single day, even in prison. You know, it's easy to get involved in the politics and things that are in there. It's easy to take on a bunch of information and stuff. So when you get out, they multiply their offending. They do much worse. And once you do get out of prison, it kind of leaves a stain on you forever. You know, I was reading a study where it said the people, once they've been to prison, the odds of making 100K a year or more is like, you know, one in a thousand or something. You know, it's very low. How did you do that? I did it once I got out of prison. I, I sort of, I knew when I was in prison that I didn't want to go back to like a life of crime so to speak. I originally, when I first went there, I thought that I would. I had a lot of friends that were in there. But once I started to sort of spend more time with them and see them, I thought, I had in my head that, you know, that if I do this sort of crime, you know, the, sort of like the Scarface movie, I'll eventually end up with tens of millions of dollars and I'll do this and that. And I was making great money, but I mustn't have ever watched the end of how those movies end because it's always prison or dead or they lose everything. And then I sort of started to see some of the bigger guys like in prison. And I would see some of the guys that I looked up to and I'm like, you know, uh, this is sort of what I would think that I would want to be. And then it would be the same guy sort of shooting up drugs in jail, you know, and doing things like that and, and sharing needles between 20 guys. You know, this is the same guy who would get hepatitis and take it back to his family and not tell them that he's got a disease and then pass it on to his wife. You know, I started to realize that the good of guys have no morals in that sort of thing. I thought myself, I, I always had like a, I was doing the wrong thing too, but we sort of had a little group and we looked after each other. So we sort of justified it to ourselves that, oh, we never fucked each other over. Like we still had our little unit. We looked after each other and we sort of did things together and we'd bring the money back in. But that sort of started to fracture out because I sort of started to see that people were getting much more involved in the drugs and less involved in making money. And for me, it was always about making money. It was just a way that I'd gotten out of the army. I didn't really have many marketable skills. And it was just an easy move for me to move into that field. I had friends already in that field. And I did make great money, but I learned to money earned wrong. It's never really spent right. Like, you know, I was earning heaps of money doing crime, but then I had a gambling addiction at the same time. So I'd be at the casino, you know, a few times a week, just running the money through the poker <laughs> machines. You know, I, it's much like that, you know, kind of like what they say. Like, you know, money that's not earned well is generally just disappears. And it did. You know, I'd just try and get rid of it as fast as I could. I would make great money, but I wasn't going into investments. It wasn't going into like real estate or anything like that. I learned that it's harder. You have to sort of start a business and then ultimately make the money legitimate. It's not that easy to do over the long term. I had good friends going in for a good friend of mine still in jail for over 10 years. You know, I had, had people in for very long, getting very long stays, like 15, 20 year sentences for drug trafficking. And then once I was on, on for drug trafficking as well, I thought, you know, Instead of just keeping on reoffending and keeping on, you know, like going down that sort of that line, once I got charged, I went to a veterans hospital in the army and I sort of started to look into like why I was doing this gambling, uh, how do I stop? And then I saw a psychiatrist and he said, oh, why don't you see about this? Like, you know, you might have PTSD. And then I went to this veterans hospital. I ended up staying there 14 months. I lived in the hospital for that whole time. So I saw a lot of guys that have massive mental problems and, and guys that have massive challenges. And I learned too, uh, it kind of red-pilled me on reality, you know, that you can do the right thing your whole life, 
like guys who serve their country and guys that, you know, get the, the wife and the white picket fence and things like that and still end up completely ruined. So I sort of realized that I wanted to take responsibility for my own life and myself. And before all of that sort of stuff happened, ultimately after I went to prison, I got out. Before then I had a lot of crypto. Once I was out, it had, had done very well. I hadn't been able to sell it while I was in there. So I'd made good money in that just by proxy, like kind of by accident in that regard. But then I sort of started to see that once I realized that it had made good money, I didn't know a ton about it. I'd only been introduced to it by a guy that I met once when I was doing a deal. He was just a young guy. He'd made tens of millions in crypto. He explained to me what Bitcoin was. And then I knew it at that sort of like fundamental level, knew what Ethereum was, knew how to mine it, knew very fundamentals about it. But then once I'd get out, I, I realized the market, this was 2017. So it was in the bull market. I, I got out just at the start of the bull market for that. So it was lucky in timing. And then me and a friend, we started a fund, crypto fund, because I started to learn more about it. I was doing 16 hours a day, uh, 16 hour days, I was on parole. I was in my house, I was on house arrest. So I would just sit and read the markets and everything I could on crypto, watch YouTube for 16 hours a day or more, sometimes 20 hours a day, I was just obsessed. Because once I'd seen this fruit had come out, I'd made good money, I said, oh, this is something that I can do. You know, I'm at home, I'm on house arrest, I had a tracking bracelet on my leg, I can't do anything. So I said, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna study this market and I'm gonna learn about markets in general. And I just studied nonstop for, I don't know, a few years, at least after, until after the virus happened. I made mil we started a fund, invested in a lot of startups, made millions of dollars, lost millions of dollars in the 2018 to 2020 run. I only sold a bit, so I lost about 3 million on that drop up to the COVID crash. And then after that, again, I sort of studied more and started reading about the macro and sort of why things happen. Like, you know, why the COVID drop happened, not the virus itself, but the actual like market conditions. Why did the market crash? And then I learned about liquidity and what happens when it sort of gets sucked out of the market, learn about rates. And now with the rate hikes, I've learned why that has the effect that it has on the market. Once you have money too, it, it actually gets interesting. And when you have millions of dollars, it's worth actually studying. Like, you know, I can put 2 million in the bank and even if I can only get four or 5%, that actually means something now. But when you've got 5K in the bank, you think, oh, that doesn't really matter to me. But as you get more money, you start to think, I, I need to do all this sort of stuff, like, you know, tax minimization, not evasion, but minimization. You need to look into all of that sort of stuff matters. And yeah, so for me, it's just, it was a necessity thing. I had a, a big desire in myself that I just needed to change. And it was seeing that rock bottom, you know, I'm sitting in a cell, a cell with two people. It's tiny, smaller than a small bathroom. And I got my cellmate sitting next to me shooting up, you know, and it's blood everywhere. And then he tells me, oh, yeah, I've, got, I've probably got hepatitis. You know, so I thought I can't be in this sort of environment, you know, like I can't live like this forever. And then I see friends get starting to get, you know, 10 years plus. I did nearly two. But, yeah, so I thought it was either that was going to be the end of me, you know, that's going to be my life just going in and out of the system, or I have to turn it around. And then ultimately I would have, end up having my daughter probably, you know, maybe a year out of prison. And she's a massive motivator of mine. You know, after that, once she was born, I was making a million dollars a year, like I've said. Every year since then, I've made a million dollars. You know, so I think that it's very motivating, like love itself. I, I used to think, you know, the greatest motivator was like money, hate, or things like that, or like, you know, trying to get like sex or having tens or the hottest girls on earth. But when you have a daughter or a kid, it's very, for me, it's extremely motivating to have someone that's completely reliant on you. Like it's like you, they've entered a blank slate like they've just arrived a blank slate and everything you do is going to change exactly like determine who they are. So you can't really afford to just make a heap of fucking mistakes. 
And I saw it with the guys in prison, you know, guys would have their kids come and visit them and dad's smacked out all the time and the kids coming in and it's a very negative environment. So I always knew that if that was the sort of life that I led down and went back to jail and things like that, my kid would just be a massive disaster, you know, so I scrubbed all that. So a lot of your guys <clears> that <throat> are watching Jack's channel, they're probably from the Western society where they may not have had this opportunity to actually go through hardship. So you guys have both had the opportunity, you came up in that, that environment. What can you guys suggest to guys who don't have a hard environment, how to get motivated to, to deal with this pain, to be able to find that motivation to go forward? You know, have they got any suggestions? Yeah, for me, it's, it's not about, uh, I think there's a big thing now where guys, sometimes younger guys too, they'll see guys that have been through a lot because it's very polarizing online. You know, you can see a couple of guys that are maybe in the 1% and you can think, oh, this is what I need to do to, to get like Waller. I need to go through all the hardships that he's had. And there's no shame in like, you know, taking a shortcut like that and not going through some massive thing like going to prison or, or having like, you know, a sports career that ultimately you get injured and things like that. It's, you don't have to go down the routes that we've gone down, but you do have to, you know, maybe the, the challenge can be in the boxing gym and you're sparring and you're, you know, building up your training ability. I think with guys, I used to think, you know, young guys should focus 100% on learning a high income skill. I think young guys, if they're, you know, 18 to 20, maybe 18 to 21, 22 specifically, and younger is even better, they should focus on getting extremely fit and they should focus on like one, like maybe they go to boxing for a year or two, sparring, things like that, and they get very high level at that. Because once you've been a high level athlete or something and you've built your physique, you can kind of cruise for your whole life. Like, you know, you see guys when they've been extremely high level, like in, in a sport, they don't have to train as hard if they don't want. They always have that back because their genetics have like pushed it to the max. So now they can gain more time as they age because their time is not that like really that important. It's not really as valuable when you're younger. But then, you know, you don't want to be 30 or 35 and trying to turn your physique around because it's a lot harder. So in their time where their time's not worth as much, they should be pushing to get really good. You know, you can get great at boxing in one year. And then maybe they can just train once or twice a week boxing and they'll always be good. Same as I think bodybuilding or something like that. Or I don't like bodybuilding as much, but more like a sports specific type style training, like, you know, Olympic lifts and kettlebells and things like that. Some sort of cardio base where you're athletic still. Because bodybuilding itself can be an issue where they're very tight and it's as big for nothing. You know, you're a big guy, but someone will still smack you around. Or you still can't, you know, like, Throw a football. I can definitely resonate with that because as I came out to Thailand, I took up the, the sport of Muay Thai. First time I've never done combat sports in, in 28 years. And it just showed me a new level of, um, of life really. And, and that really gave me the confidence to go out into life. And having that experience, you know, you're completely right. Going into, into combat sports can give you that hardship. Go through something that you might not have done before. And, and that's something that we've had really enjoyed out in Thailand uh, with Jack, you know, out there doing a lot of Muay Thai and boxing. And he's a fantastic boxer. So it's been a great time with him. Yeah, we're like beating each other up, don't we? <laughs> yeah. And uh, Dario's fight was amazing. He signed up for a fight that you can do in Thailand. So you go, everyone gets boozed up and then they just put gloves on two random kids from the audience and stick them in a ring together. And Dario went in there and took some kid's head off. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> it wasn't really a kid. I wouldn't say it. Oh, no, no. He, he, he wasn't a kid. He wasn't a young kid. He was a, he was a fully grown man just to be safe on that side. So you can get drunk and fight 10-year-olds in, <laughs> in Bangkok, right? <clears throat> Only in Thailand. Yeah, come, come through to Thailand and have a great time. We've got a lot of friends uh, in the UK. They normally settle down into relationships young. And it's one thing Sartorial said to me was, look, you're not meant to be in a relationship till 35. Have you got anything to say about that? Because for me, I'm like, I love chicks. 
I want a chick. Why aren't I allowed to settle down before 35? I feel like I want to. Yes, because you want to give her a complete man, right? So you can look at it from your perspective of like wanting to have a chick, right? But if you really care about the girl, you're going to go build up all these levels. I mean, he nailed it when he said go find pain. It's basically if you were to translate what Stephen just said, if you don't have pain, go find it. Now, that doesn't mean you have to do anything that will get you in trouble, like going to prison. doesn't mean you need to play a sport, maybe like football, that's going to cost you a shoulder and have a shoulder replacement or whatever, right? But you can go train in the gym. You can go take those licks. You can go find the kind of pain that will develop you as a person that will let you walk with your with your back straight all the way up, right? And then as you're doing that, women are going to see it. So I always say this about your 20s. You should get physically fit first. That's the number one thing that's going to help you in business and life. You're going to be able to shake a man's hand, look him in the eye, even, you know, be able to speak with a lot more confidence once you've done that training, right? Then you're building a business and you're learning about female nature. It's really important to learn about female nature because if you just get in the plane and take up a relationship to 30,000 feet, but you don't know how to steer it and you don't know where all the dials are, female nature, you're going to end up hurting that girl and yourself. So you're going to crash the plane. You're going to break your heart, her heart. And all at the same time, you're not ready to, to take the control of the wheel. So I'm not saying you can't fall in love at 25. I'm not saying that. I'm saying ideally you would be in a position where you could take care of not only a woman emotionally and physically like protecting, providing, but you would be able to take care of an entire family in that way. And so it just takes a little time. And, and the time is going to be nothing more than you going through the pain of getting dinged upside the head a few times to have the wisdom to be calm and collective in the situation. Because if you've not gone through pain and emotional ups and downs, then it's going to show in front of the woman and then she's going to lose respect for you, right? And you know respect equals love. So you need to be battle tested in, in many, many ways before it's time to really take control of the wheel, you know? So dating women, understanding female nature, obviously you're not going to go celibate through your 20s. But maybe a long-term relationship, man, you know, marriage type scenario. Now, I don't mean marriage in the traditional sense, but I mean a long-term partner. I think until your 30s, and I think having children in your 30s is probably much, 100x better than doing it in your 20s. Unnecessary pressure. Well, we kind of made that decision because you just come out of a long-term relationship. And then uh, I've, we've decided to move in together in Bangkok, get a penthouse in Bangkok and just, just focus on work because we found through the kind of brotherhood, you, you get so much more out of each other. If you did, did any of you go and live with a chick when you were in your twenties and, and, <laughs> and it take you off your game for a bit, or were you just always studs? You know what would happen to me? A girl would be so in love. She would just like move my shit into her apartment. I had a girl and her mother. I came home one day and like all my shit was moved and it sucked too. Cause they your were like, stuff in her my stuff. Yeah. They moved me <laughs> and, and like, it was like trying to rent my shit. She, it was a, I was dating a daughter of a pediatric neurobrain surgeon. This girl had gotten everything she'd ever wanted in life. And here I was looking like a piece of husband material because I'm doing this in my 20s, right? Like she, she could see it. Her mom could see it. And they were both crazy and had nothing but time on their hands. And they moved me three or four times. They'd move me from one place to the other. I'd break up with her. She'd catch me cheating, you know. <laughs> They'd move my shit again. And bro, both of them called me crying, bro. It was crazy. Now, the stepdad was a fucking G, like big G. Like I still, low-key, we still hang out today. He's like, hey, you white trash want to meet me at Waffle House? I'm like, 10-4 cowboy. This dude's a multi, multi-millionaire, like big boss. Like 
neurosurgeon in Baton Rouge. Like his face is on billboards. He's the fucking man. And even to this day, like she's hard, she's butthurt about it, but we'll still meet up and hang out and, you know, he'll, we'll talk business and stuff. So, uh, yeah, I, for, for a time, I always had my own place, but I would come home to the same place every day. Cause it'd be like filet mignon and shit at the house. I mean, she was a fucking smoke. Everybody treated me well. I was like, you know, it, it was a good thing for a while, but not a good idea. Cause what it does is it makes you weak. And it's not even the woman's fault, man. She smells good. It's constant sex, back massages. Like they're giving you facials. They're rubbing your feet. Bro, I, your laundry's done. Bro, it's bad boy. It's bad boy. But it can make you, it can make you lackadaisical, if you will. It makes you soft. And it's not because there's something wrong with the woman. She's probably just a really, really good woman, right? But if you don't have your shit set up right, then it's costing you the return on investment of time it could be to build like your own empire it will force you into his empire because what if I'd have stayed, right? Then it'd be daddy's money. Then you're working for daddy. And if you can't shake the father's hand and him like go, you know what? Respect. This dude smashed my daughter, but this is the kind of guy I want nailing my daughter. You know, like he don't need my money. And you got to make sure you don't fall into that frame because that's quicksand, bro. Then you're working for the family. Then that piece of pussy, I hate to say it like this, owns you. So got to watch out. Yeah, big time. Did you have that? Yeah, I've had a very similar story to Justin. I had, when I was in the army, I met a girl in Wagga Wagga. It's a town of 20,000 people. <laughs> army city, Where the right? fuck is that? Army city. So maybe there's 70% guys, 30% girls. The girls aren't That's great, a bad ratio. Right? It's a very bad army city ratio where guys are just happy to take pretty much anyone. They marry whatever they see, right? Yeah. It's like football Anything. camp, bro. All of a sudden, Anything. the ugly trainers just starts looking nice. Anything. That brings us back onto rotters. That, that would be <laughs> yeah, something we refer to as a rotter. Um, Busted. Yeah. <laughs> But no, I had yeah much the same thing as Justin. I had a girl, we met in a small town. She had a, I find out later on after meeting her, she had a fiance, she left him for me. She moved with me and moved up to Townsville, which is another army city, but much bigger. And it was much the same as Justin said, you know, her family had money. She was from money. I was working in the army. Ultimately, I would end up with a massive gambling habit. So I had no money. You know, I had negative money all the time. I had nothing. And her parents were rich, you know, they were millionaires. They had a funeral company. And yeah. She was saying, oh, you know, once you get out of the army, you can work for my dad. He'll teach you the business. You can groom me to take over and do things. And the dad didn't like me. I got tattoos. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not a good scene. You got to watch out, man. These girls will use their daddy's money as bait. You know, they and really will. I knew at the time that it was bad. But, yeah, it was much the same as Justin said. I, she was seeing for the end. You know, she was like, oh, I want to be with this guy. I can see things long term. You know, she'd drop hints. You know, we should have kids. We should engage. When's all this stuff going to happen? And I was just immature. I was just too immature, mate. But it was a good experience. You know, we had a lot of good times. She was a very good girl in a lot of ways. You know, nothing bad to say about her. Ultimately, it ended pretty much in disaster. But that's life. You know, it's... I think with exes, things too, it's... I don't have a single ex that I can, you know, look back on and say that they're trash or, or really garbage or anything like that. I think it's just what we are, you know. I think women in general, like, you know, your partner, she's just a mirror. Like, she's a reflection of you at that very moment. So when you guys turn around and they're like, oh, my ex did this and my ex was terrible and my ex was, you know, a liar and doing all this stuff. Often it's just they're reflecting back what they're seeing. A thousand percent agree with that. And the reason is, let's say the girl was crazy. Then you would have left her. You wouldn't have stayed. So a reflection of me at that time is that girl would 
somehow be able to loop me back in via guilt or via moving my shit instead of me putting my foot down and saying, no, I'm going to live like this, this, and this. And I got sucked in, whether it was the sex or the food or the atmosphere or whatever, the comfort. You, He nailed it with, the, you are a reflection of that girl or she is a reflection of you at that time because the me today would not have put up with that. No, you stay your ass over here. I'm going to be over here. And, and so, again, 26, 27, me wasn't ready for that yet. And that's why we say 30s. What was the defining moment that you changed that mindset? Because you said at 26, 27, was there something that came happened to you? Oh, you're still developing and studying. Like the one disadvantage, so there, each generation has its advantages and disadvantages. You know how like you hear your dad saying, well, this generation has this, this, and this. But that generation, in all fairness, doesn't understand the opportunities that you guys have. So you guys have this opportunity to go online and make money and do all these different things, right? For us, the internet was not as big at your age as, as it would have been when, it, when we were coming up. And so there were things, obviously, that we're all still developing on. You guys expect yourselves to develop all the way to where a 40-year-old man would be by the time you're 25. That is a challenge that your generation has. And the challenge is there is because the inter- information is actually on the internet, but the, to think that you're going to hear it once or twice and it's just going to sink in and you're not going to act on the natural tendencies that you have, like loving that pretty girl or wanting to go to that that place where it's comfortable and it smells good and your laundry's done and there's a blowjob waiting for you. You know, you understand what I'm saying? Like that'll make you act dumb at 25, 26. And so just understanding that. I'm not saying go easy on yourself, but do understand that you're going to have to take some punches twice for it to sink in. And I certainly did that. And I think every man does that. There's things that you know you shouldn't be doing that you're still doing. You know, it's just going to take you going through just it. A, just a couple. Yeah, one or two, right? <laughs> Case in point, living in Bangkok. Get the fuck out of here, bro. <laughs> we, but yeah, we, have, we do live in Bangkok. That's a slight issue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get them over there. Get them a good church girl, bro. Yeah, what, what do you guys look for in, in, in women? What, what do you look for? What's the criteria for a good woman? Because there's guys in the UK, they do not know a thing about this. They are walking around with just wildebeests, dragons. Right. Chavs. Chavs. <laughs> yeah, y'all call them slags too. Slags, right? yeah. yeah. Slappers. I like a woman that can think for herself as a basis. And the reason I say that is if, if she can think for herself, then she can hear the words that you're ta- saying while you're trying to build her up. And she can make her own decision objectively and then deal with any counterfire she gets from the frame that you set up with her, with her friends and family. Case in point, any girl I'm going to be with, I want her to think and believe truly that it's me and her against the world and fuck what her dumbass friends that say. Because truthfully, her friends are less happy than her and probably don't like the fact that she's so happy with a man like me. So they'll try to sit, put in these little snide remarks to try to pull her away from that so she can go into slut lifestyle again right but you you want a girl that can think for herself and make her own opinions and if she wants to be inside your frame that she can do that and think for herself enough to fight back against the resistance of let's say feminism or girls trips or being too submissive or not appreciating all the work that you do to make her life better so for me a girl that can think for herself and can stand up to the outside forces because she has a real thing in real life with a real man right now right here is the kind of girl I think is a really good base. Obviously, having good values and all those other things, you want to line up with her politically. She stays beautiful. She understands the importance of it. But the realer they are and the more they can think for themselves, the better, in my opinion. 
and what sort of nationality or where in the world are you finding these girls? Well, that wouldn't matter, right? If the girl could think for herself, right? Obviously, there's the easy answers like Eastern Europe. Um, I find the women in South America to be a bit promiscuous. I think there's plenty of good women in flyover states, but you still need to understand female nature because I get more messages from married women that come from Facebook than any other place. And just like he was saying earlier, that girl was engaged. She probably lied to you about it, didn't she? Yeah, the start kept it yeah. very vague. Yeah. I wouldn't have engaged. Yeah, exactly. I've been lied to multiple times, and the guy's never going to believe it if you tell him, no, she lied to me. But I have, but like, you will have evidence. I've had many, many women lie to me and say, and I'll find out later, I'm like, you fucking bitch. You know, they'll lie to you because that's what, you know, they call it monkey branching, right? They're hypergamous. They will lie to you, hold on to this branch secretly just long enough to make sure they have this one good enough to let go. And so all the things, again, you have to watch out for, you have to test on. And that's why understanding female nature, studying how women move so you can get the truth out of them, and then being strong enough and have enough experience that if you are with the wrong one, that you you have the abundance in your life and you have the, the wherewithal to walk away from it if you need to. Is there any particular test that you'd say you you place out there when you are trying to find a new woman? Like maybe one or two tests that you do to, to, to vet them as such? I don't personally. I just I just let things go as they need to go because I don't I don't want to create any kind of situations where I'm trying to manipulate her. But I will say what <laughs> I've had something coming to my head. So would you say this is a <laughs> would you say this is a red flag? So I met this here we go here we go. No, I met this Russian woman at the W Hotel bar the other night, and uh, I don't know about four or five hours into meeting her, she did she said that she wanted to have children with me. Is that, is that a problem? Maybe she just liked you. Like, did she sleep with you? She did, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I feel like, well, I don't feel like, I know I've had many women like me so much, they refuse to sleep with me. If a girl, if it gets really hot and heavy on the first date, you'll know that she wants to sleep with you. If she walks away from sleeping with you, you're like, ah, good. That, that happened last night. That might be the one you need to date. You might need to <laughs> keep them both, okay? Just Hunger don't gang. invest. Yeah, it's the same. Don't one. invest in the Russian. It's the same one. Wait, what do you mean? That it's the same girl. Banged her the first night, and then we took her out last night, and she was being strange. Well, that means a dick sucked. She was being very odd. No, it can't have been that. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely wasn't that. Well, no. Listen. So if you have two girls, right, and you sleep with one on the first date, I'm not saying don't don't keep seeing her. I'm saying put her in the whole bucket. You know, because what happens is guys do that and it's their only, and that's why abundance is so important. That Russian girl's probably beautiful, right? So I'm not saying get rid of her, just understand what she's going to be in your life. That way you don't slip into the pit of letting your heart get caught up with a girl like that. Yeah, I'm all right at that. I don't really get too caught up with the heart stuff. I just like to know what's kind of going on behind the scenes with these girls, especially in Dubai. It was expectation <laughs> and reality. <laughs> yeah. But that's the other thing, too, is that you have to understand as a young man, you can take the same woman, put her with a man A, she's going to be a certain kind of woman, and you put her with man B, and she's going to be proper housewife. It's about the man you become. Exactly true. Yeah, and what you're missing is that it is the same girl, different result based on the man. Yeah, I've had that so many times, exactly like Justin said. I've had it where I've been the man that she's changed into a good girl with, and I've been the man where with me, she wanted to party and go to clubs and do things, and then she meets the next guy, and he's like, yeah, she's with me. She's completely different. And I've seen them together. I'm like, yeah, she just falls into place with him. 
And with me, the tests that I do, I, I wouldn't really call it a test. I just like very high interest. I only deal with very high interest. I don't deal with anything if I feel like, you know, she's not returning the ball as soon as she goes a bit cold, as soon as she might be like, you know, not making, expressing how she feels. I think femininity is, it's very important if they can express how they feel, you know, they should be able to give you compliments. They should be able to, you know, kind of be your biggest cheerleader. That's the thing with, you know, a good woman to me. Thousand percent. He's nailing this. Yes. If you have a good woman and she's scarce about giving you compliments, scarce about telling you, you know, how she feels, she's quite damaged inside or she just doesn't see you as the man you know you want abundance abundance for men can be abundance of things you know things that you can do abundance for women to me is an abundance of love you know if they like you they should be very open that's femininity like they open up like they're hard as well it's not just about you know like having sex and things like that because that's the smallest thing girls these days will have sex with people that they don't really even like just wanted to have sex because they thought they're attractive funny whatever so it doesn't mean as much but to open up you know, it's a big thing with a woman if you're like, you know, can you write me a letter, write how you feel about me? Can you write down like, you know, 10 things that you like about me? A lot of women won't do that. A lot of women will be like, oh, no, I'm not going to do that. Because, and I've had this from women, you know, in Australia or things like that. I'll be like, can you write down 10 things that you like about me? Like, you should do it. And then I've had it, the same girl turn around and be like, oh, but like, if it doesn't work out, you, you could send it to people or you could show people or like, you know, you she could won't hold care. it against me. If she yeah. really likes you, she If she really care. likes you, she doesn't think from a fear base. She doesn't think from a sort of scarcity mind where she's like, she should be completely like devoted. Devotion is yeah, like opening up, opening up their heart. That's to me is very feminine. Like you know, they're not scarcity with the compliments and things like that. A lot of the reason why guys to me are the way they are. There's a lot of guys that are very insecure and confused. It's because a lot of women, especially I find in the West, they're very. It's like they they don't give compliments to guys, and guys are just running around pretty much starving. You know, like I know guys where they can pretty much exist on no compliments. You know, it might be. A guy to get a compliment from a woman for some guys they might live like one year and get one or two you know it's not it's not like women where they can be complimented every almost every day and i think you'll agree with this i'd rather be with an eight that think i that thinks i hung the fucking moon than a 10 that could do with me or without me yeah 100 percent. it accelerates you i have a woman like that at the moment i have a girl like that it was the same girl i spoke to you about the first time we streamed together so we're still together now and that was right. nearly a year ago she's amazing Got a tatted, got my name on her, got a stamped up. Um, but what I was going to say is a lot of guys, for me, I can't have just one girl. And I found that out very, very soon, very young. I was like, whenever I was in relationships before, I just felt unhappy with it. Like I needed more women. How did you, I, I don't know if that's what either of you guys are doing as well, but how did you get over the guilt of that and and wanting to have multiple women? And how do you frame that in a relationship? Is it is it necessary for guys to have this or or is it kind of a fallacy that we need multiple women? It's very true in my life. I, the biggest pain that I've had in my adult life was all over this very subject. I would leave women that I absolutely was in love with. We would not. We weren't fighting. We weren't doing anything. It was just the guilt of that feeling that would not go away. So much so that when I was in college, I think I was 23, 24, I broke up with Miss Louisiana. She was getting ready for Miss America. She was the standing Miss Louisiana. I left her because of all the girls on the volleyball team that was trying to get at me, all the cheerleaders that were trying to get at me. And I'm like, oh my God. And I went and I went to church and I tried to pray and I was upset and I hated myself for it. Please don't let me make this mistake. Please, please, please. It wasn't the girl. It was, it was the structure. It was in me. And it took me a long time to realize that it wasn't, there was nothing wrong with me. I was blaming myself for a very, very long time. And eventually I got enough around enough guys that understood me 
the in the way that I was feeling. Because what a lot of guys play, particularly in the reptile space, they leave out the fact that you can love a woman. You, dude, I can literally be head over heels in love with a woman and sleep with another woman, and it means nothing to me. In fact, I don't even want her to stay in my bed because I'd rather go hold the other girl and sleep with her. You know, there's no less sexual attraction to this girl, and women have a hard time understanding that because they connect sex to love. Men, it's more like, do I want steak or do I want a hot dog? <laughs> I hate to say. Massive. Another thing to drive this home, I said this on a podcast recently. If I could stroke a check for a million dollars cash right now that I'd just lose a million bucks and that feeling would go away, I would write the check. It is in us. It is physically a part of being a man. Now, a lot of men suppress it. They try to do it with religion or they get so out of shape or so non-wanted on the market that they they trade sexual exclusivity for at least a consistent piece of you know what for sex right but a lot of those guys turn around and virtue signal against guys like us and say i would never i would never do such a thing no bullshit motherfucker you can't and women make the mistake of believing that a man that can't get it is loyal Loyalty and your ability to not be able to do it are two separate things completely. So, yes, I do think it's wired into every man. Some men suppress it. Some men just take themselves out of the market due to not wanting to compete. But it's in every man. And the reason that 99.9999 out of 100 girls that I tell that to stay is because they know I'm not full of shit. They know it's actually true. And then they have to go find a man that is going to work as hard as me to be the kind of person that I am. And they'd rather have a piece of my time than all of some loser's time. Hate to say. so. Couldn't have explained it any better. That's what it is, bro. I agree. You got to get to a place where you're done apologizing for it. You're a man. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I've, I've got to that point now. I'm, I'm starting to own it. It's the deceit that bothers people. Yeah. If you can sit a girl down and be like, listen, not only am I going to tell you the truth, I'm also going to care about you. I'm going to be there for you. And don't leave the loving her part out. That's the really important part that the space doesn't talk about. Big boss, big G, I'm going to do this, pimp and hose. No, bro, you love the girl. Just because you, if you sleep with a girl and somehow she finds out or catches wind or something, you need to be there for her. You know, you need to love her. She needs to know that you're not going to leave her, that she has position, that, you know what I'm saying? Call them whoopies. Have her help. Hey, babe, like set up an account. Let's get some of these whoopies in here. We'll use them and throw them away, you know? So the Russian girl, you know, the one that slept with you on the first date, hook her and your good girl up. Tell your girl we're going to use her and throw away and send her back to the five hotel in Dubai, bro. Perfect. Yeah, I found much the same. I think that with guys, it's very much with women. If you want, you know, two women or you want to have one woman sort of like a main and then have other women as well. I find that that has to be discussed early. I don't think that it's fair to have a woman for one or two years and then like be cheating on her and doing all the shit right. behind the scenes. She's got to know. You're DMing a hundred girls and then she's just getting sent the DMs like forwarded that, oh, your man sent me this and then she's quite humiliated, right? And especially the more you have to lose. So you, you trigger that woman enough and she can make hell on you. Like when you have assets and things to lose, there can be big consequences to, to messing people around like that. So I don't believe with that. I don't think, I think guys generally handle it in like, you know, a kind of a cowardly way. You know, they, they do it behind the scenes and then eventually get exposed. And then, like Justin said, it's the deceit that pisses the woman off the most. And that you're a coward. She's leaving you because you're a pussy. Because the guy gets confronted. Oh, oh you know, what are these panties under the bed? And he's like, uh, uh, yeah, they're, they're from the cleaner. Like, you know, he, he just can't even admit it. And her, problem, and her whole problem with that is not only, 
not only are you a liar, you're a fucking coward on top of it. And now she can't trust you. Yeah, she can't trust you. And she can't respect you because you're a bitch. If something gets heavy, you know, you're now, your competency is in question. She right. can't trust you on a lot of things because you might hide financial matters or things like that from her. So I do understand it from that perspective. I think the strongest angle that a guy has, and I've thought about this issue a lot, and in my life, the best angle that a guy has is to be upfront about it early. You know, you're my girl, you know, like you're going to get all the benefits of being my girl, but I do want to have, you know, have sex with other girls as well. I like a girl that's like bisexual so that she's involved. I'm not saying that that's the only way. I'm sure I've met other guys who've done it differently, but I like a girl who's involved. And then once she's involved, she can vet the girls, find the girls like on dating apps, things like that. She feels involved. Like it's a thing that we do. It's us against the world, similar to what Justin says. And then once she's seen you with the girls, this guy's not going to fall in love with the first piece of pussy he gets. Like this guy's not just going to be buying girls gifts because women hate that. You have one girl and then if you're DMing another girl and then she finds out you've had some sort of like pseudo relationship and you've been sending her on trips or something like that, no woman's going to like that, no main girl. So you, once you've done all those things and she's seen you with other girls and, and knows that you're not going to lose your cool, you know, you're not going to be having three relationships or something going, so a lot of the time they'll start to just not really care as much. You know, the concept of you being with another girl, it doesn't really mean shit to her because she's like, yeah, I've seen him, he, he does stuff, but he's not just going to, you know, tell her he loves her, he's not going to buy her stuff and do things like that because that's, once you're spending assets on other women, women take that a bit a bit different, like once you're spending your money on them. Yeah, I think I think being upfront is, is completely, and look, as you change, you might have to sit her down again and again, you know, to talk about where the terms are going to be, you know, if, if at some point, you know, you get in a position where you think you want to have more than one wife or, or, you know, you need more sons or something like that. It's about being honest and transparent and her knowing she's not losing the position and respecting the hell out of her in the process. Your value has to be high enough. Similar yeah, to what Justice is. Two things I think is really important to women. Their position with you and what they're getting with that position, like, is the trade-off. For example, you take your normal guy has a normal job, comes home and pops a beer open every night, smokes a bowl of weed and plays video games. His girl is not going to be as accepting as maybe Steven or I's girl would be because what she's getting in return is 5, 10 X what that guy is giving her. So she's like, yeah, this fucking nerd can't do it. But if I get Steven Bell, that's a different man. That's a different cloth of man. I am now driving a Lamborghini. You know, it's going to cost more for the oil change. And they have, and they they're gladly accept it because the actual trade off is there for them. It's like, okay, well, he is actually worth this. He actually works his ass off for me and the family, and gives me this life I would not have had otherwise. It's the average dude that thinks he can just be a, a mid dude and do it. One other thing on the truth thing that I think is really important. I bet you'll agree with me on this. If you keep it a secret from her, then you're constantly looking over your shoulder. And if you have feelings for her, you can only love her about 80, 90% because you have to guard your heart for the moment that she catches you. On top of that, you don't even enjoy that date as much because you're having to slide around like a little fucking homo. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I've had that so many years. I've had that. Yeah, done that I, had that, I had that in my 20s. I'd be sliding around in my 20s hoping that her friend didn't see me at a restaurant with this other girl. Always lying. And always lying. And it, it, it takes it takes a burden on your fucking soul, bro. Because here's the problem. You love her. You want to love her 120%. You want to be there for her in every way. But you can't because if she catches you, she'll break you, right? And then, bro, there's nothing worse than a broken heart. So you kind of guard yourself against the girl you actually want to love fully. 
because you're scared because you're a liar and not telling her the truth and you don't even enjoy the date. It's a double net loss, bro. Tell her the truth. You have to tell her the truth. Do you think this is because of feminism in the West that's kind of poisoned the minds of the, the, the these women to think like this? That's why you want a woman that thinks for herself. Bro. Yeah, I think you're very much like Justin said, and I find myself agreeing with a lot of what he says, but much the same. You, I find the best women, because I like a, a submissive woman, but submissive, like she chooses to submit. You know, I don't like a woman that submits to fucking every, every guy. I mean, that's crazy. But I find the smartest girls are actually the best at that because they think things through. You know, they're there because they want to be. They're not there because they're there because they can assess the value and th see the things that they get on their end. I think, yeah, having a, an intelligent woman is great, especially if you want to have kids with them and things like that. It's, you know, some guys want to get these girls from the village and things like that. You know, maybe she's not educated on how the world works, but that, that's going to be the woman that's around your kids a lot and raising your kids. And if she doesn't have, you know, a street smart or she's not the most intelligent woman, that's what you're passing along. So I think intelligence is very important. He's dead on. And that, to me, is probably the critical factor of falling in love with a girl. If she's pretty and I'm attracted to her, but she's also, like Stephen says, intelligent, and you can respect her, respect equals love goes both ways. If you can respect the woman, her intelligence, and really connect with her intellectually also, I know it's not a popular thing to say, but I don't want to be with a woman long-term that's a bimbo. you know. So he's dead on about this. I've got question for you justin that I've, I've i've always wanted to ask you actually i never asked you this how did you meet andrew and how at that point when you met andrew were you in a position to become his friend because i think a lot of guys message us all the time like can we hang out can we go grab coffee they want to network with high level guys they got no idea how to do it how did you do it so smoothly and obviously it's been such a good friendship for you yeah so i joined the war room and i went to an event in Tristan walked through some sliding glass doors in Vegas on a cold night. Me and him are obviously pretty tall, and we were standing right across from each other. I just looked him dead in the eye and had a real conversation. In a few minutes, I knew I'd be friends with Tristan. And um, really, the true answer is I had had a whole life of internal growth, building a real business, building my body, building who I was as a person, that I was able to just to shake, shake his hand, look at him like a normal person, and treat him as such. And you have to understand about high-level people like that that are famous or, or whatever is it. A lot of times your ethics are needed before you actually need them, right? So I'd spent an entire adult life becoming the best man I could. So in the moment of Tristan walking out that door, we could shake hands and he could recognize me as a person that he might would want to be friends with. And that's why a lot of guys don't understand why they don't make it when they have this opportunity that came because you were supposed to be doing the internal work for five, 10, 20 years before, before that opportunity came in front of you. So when it does and you meet that guy, he's like, you know what? I respect this dude. Like this is the kind of guy I'll be friends with. And so for me, Worried you'll need to babysit your robot vacuum? Think again. Meet Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum with AI-powered navigation to recognize and avoid over 100 objects. It's the winner of five Best of CES awards. And Digital Trend says it boasts almost all the same features as robot vacuums that cost twice as much. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's E-U-F-Y.com. And discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. 
Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. It might look like my YouTube career was lucky. The first time I went on Fresh and Fit, I had 1,500 subs, right? But because I had done all the things in my life to be ready for the moment, it was an easy decision for, let's say, Myron or, or Tate or whoever to make to befriend me. And so the same thing happens in real life also. If you're not doing your work as a man, I'll tell you like in a little example. Let's say we leave here right now and some guys try to jump on you. I and Steven. Has and me and Steven walk out. Me and Steven have done the work to know that we're going to help you because we've been in fights before, right? The, the training has happened. With a woman, I could have your Russian girl accidentally message me on Instagram right now. I've done enough work in my life to create enough abundance that I will happily tell her to fuck off. Men generally let that moment happen to them, the Russian girl in the inbox, right? but they've not done the work to be in abundance. So they end up snaking you and losing a friend they could have had for life. All of your work should be done before it comes time to use the work. The day is coming where you're going to get tested with money, women, helping your boy in the parking lot, whatever. So ethics are needed long before you actually need them. And so that's what I would say is that I had done the work for them to be able to accept me as a friend and to be able to actually turn up when they're like, hey, you want to split a jet that's going to cost $10,000 for an hour each, right? So you got to be in the right position, and that's why you need the ethics. Yeah, it's, it's brilliant. It's a great answer. I think much the same. It's like Michael Jordan makes the shot that saves the game winner, and he shoots the game winner, and then people just think, oh, of course he made the shot. He's Michael Jordan. But people don't see the tens of thousands of hours that went in before he took that shot. You know, it's what I say is what makes a man generally these days a winner or a loser is what he does when the door closes in his apartment. Once he goes home, what is he doing? What habits is he doing then? Because when people are, there's no audience, you know, people aren't looking in. It's easy to just get distracted, you know, turn Pornhub on to watch silly clips and TikToks and things like that. I think our time, it was easier in some ways. That was our advantage. Easier in some ways that there weren't as many distractions. It was easy to stay in one direction, but you guys have the advantage of having more directions. But like Netflix, when you turn it on, it's very hard to choose a movie when you have thousands of movies. Our time was when you just put, you had channel to channel. It was just a movie, next movie, next movie, but that's probably it. And we were always content with whatever was on. It's Rambo 2, bro. Let's, let's go. go. That's right. <laughs> We've seen it eight times, but let's do it number nine. So speaking of directions, you, you, know, you both have started personal brands in the, in the past years. And is there a reason that you did that? You know, is there advantages to this business model of a personal brand or disadvantages? Because, you know, you spoke about when you, you started your business model, the, the steel construction business that had its particular advantages, but now you obviously started the personal brand. I always give, you know, Andrew and T a lot of credit for this. I had started a YouTube channel and something I wanted to do, but I'd made a, I, I wanted to do it in my 20s. But I would not let myself until I was a liquid multimillionaire. And so I'd started my channel. I'd already met Andrew. We're already friends. He came down to Miami. And Andrew said, yo, come to dinner. So I go meet Andrew at dinner. He's like, listen, I think you have what it takes to like do really well. He said, you could go do your own group. You can do your own group. I was in the war room. He said, you could do that. But you see what I've already started building. And you see how much we're helping people. Why don't you just work alongside me, 
we're already friends. We already trust each other. I know you're not going to stake me. Work beside me. We'll blow it up and help a lot of people. Well, I think back in time to when I when was I most happy in my life? Probably college football. Before now, because I've never been happier than I am right now. But before now, college football, because it was a group of guys, a teammate, pass the ball, catch the ball, block, set a pick, you know, score, go up 20, trophies, like list win championships. And I thought to myself, man, like, if if you want to be Michael Jordan and I can be Scottie Pippen and we can win five rings, let's fucking play. You know, like, I didn't have a course anyway. And now I could have done one, you know, or I could have started a men's group, but I don't want to and I'm not going to. Because what we have together is like this Avengers thing where we're helping men all over the world. Fuck the money. I'm already rich. And I get to do it with somebody I love and respect and admire and and get to joke with and call names and share baby pictures. With. Come on, bro. And and so one thing that Tristan instilled in me or said to me once that I really stuck with me is like, first, you can make money off what you do with your back. You know, construction company, panels, steel, boom, boom, boom. Then you make money off what you know, scalability, build the business, manage people, you know, the game, boom, boom, big business, seven feet, you know, good. Then you start to make money off of who you are. And that was a very pivotal conversation that me and uh, Tristan actually had here in the desert. We'd walk after a shoulder surgery we had at the same time. And we're talking about that. And honestly, man, there's never been a more fulfilling work I've done in my life than doing what we're all collectively doing together, not only for the guys in the war room, but for guys all over the world, the guys in the real world that are making money every day. And I feel like if I were doing that work alone, it would not be near as fulfilling as it is doing it with Andrew and T. 100%. I agree with you because we've met in a similar way. Yep. Just, uh, you were sort of right person, right time met through one of my courses and bumped into each other in the gym. And then Dario had a seven figure business, was already a G doing his thing. You've got a business that runs itself. So we were able yeah. to meet each other and now he's, now he's on the pod. And you probably would not have been able to do that had he not been an established man himself. Exactly. Cause you got to have a guy with receipts before you buckle down and bet on him, Right. And that's why it was easy. Like, you know, obviously he's, he's a big figure in the war room. Right. Well, he's also been through a lot had a whole life, He, me and him are in the same age, it's like it's easy to respect Steven. It's, it's easy. But if it's a guy that's just messaging you and he's like, oh, I look up to you, but he's got nothing to show for his own life, it's you can't pick him as a winner because he would have done it himself otherwise. That's it's right. a lot easier to help a man that's already helped himself than to pull a loser out the gutter. That's you right. know what I'm saying? Yeah. So when you're picking people, keep that in mind. Especially men. Yeah, I get a lot of that too where – like we've I'm done it for free. Yeah, we've done it. So it's just hard to give that level of respect to guys who just, if they're moving and they're on their way, you know, maybe they've already scaled up and they're maybe making a few hundred K a year in their business and they have a question. You can look and be like, all right, yeah, well, you're on the way. Maybe you do this and that and I can see it. But when they just want that help out straight out, often they're just going to find their way straight back into there. Like you need to see equity. I have that with women too, to, to put the topic back to that. I have a thing with women. I want to see equity up front. Like I want to see you, like open yourself up and tell me how great I am. Like I, I don't want to mess around. I, I want to see, you know, equity up front, same as the tattoos, things like that. I want to see that early. And now maybe I'll take you serious. I don't have time to, like my time is valuable. You know, like I'm putting a lot of equity just talking to someone. Like that's what my time is my time. Like my energy and my effort is valuable. So if I'm putting time in, I need to see equity up front. Like I need to see that she's serious. And those are the ways that she can show me that she's serious. You know, she presents correct, presents not with a heap of options of guys and all this stuff she presents and says like i'm here you know you're the one that i want 
and this is who I am. Because if she's really about you, she'll cut those options off immediately. For the guys that are like 18 years old and they're messaging people like us on, on Instagram, what would you say to them? Because you spent some time in the military. Is that a good option for them? What should they do to get themselves that experience? I think the military is a good option if a guy is coming out and he has absolutely nothing. The military was great for me because my dad was sick. I was raised uh, as a professional Counter-Strike player until I was 20. You know, I was fat. And then I kind of started to get my shit together in my early 20s. But I missed all of that growth. You know, I went to eight schools. My dad was sick all the time. So I had really no input. I was just completely rogue doing everything on my own. So a lot of the information that I learned and all of the skills and things like that on how to be a man, I learned in the army. And I was only in there for three years. But even during that time, I still picked up enough to be around men. I know, like Justin says, you learn a lot of that in sport. I think there's sport, military, and now guys can kind of bypass it maybe by doing like boxing or some sort of higher level fitness training and things like that. I think that they can do it. But the, a lot of guys now, they're not really team players. They don't know how to play in a team. They want to be the man, even when they have jack shit going on. A lot of baby G's out yeah, there. You can't be the man. Like It's like in a room, whatever room you go in. You're very, if you're the man in every room that you're in, you're really shortchanging yourself. Right? Wrong room. Like you go into rooms like uh, I've met Tristan and Andrew as well, and you go into rooms like that, and you have to be able to give respect to even get in the room. Like you can't just sit around and, and like try to – you have to posture, you have to position yourself and be like, yeah, I, I know that you're better than me in many things. You know, you can't just present and be like trying to, to posture over them or correct them or do things because you just never get in bigger rooms. I learned that, you know, we have a mutual friend, Jewel Sartori, and he's taught me many things, you know, and I only learn from him because I go there and I don't like question his information. I ask him questions. He gives me his input. I don't get in a debate with him or try to like, you know, tell him that I know more about things. I'm just a student, you know. I, in a lot of ways, I'm still like very wealthy. I mean... Money-wise, I have that completely under control, but a lot of my style and things like that, I picked up from Jewel. So that was Sartorial. And yeah, he's, he's given me some very good advice. He's another guy that was in the military. And I think that for me, if guys say, oh, they want to join the army, it just depends where they're starting from. It depends what army. You know, if it's like Ukrainian or something like that, I imagine it's going to be a much more difficult experience or Russia or something like that. But again, it's, it's all based on where you're at you know there's not a lot of opportunities in those countries so sometimes they do have to do that i think there's a general like you know mislook on guys who were in the army or guys who were in the military i think they don't get nearly enough respect i think a lot of soy boys try to disrespect them because they're afraid like they're like oh i would never do that because i'm too smart i would never go to a war because i'm too clever i would just leave the country and, and let it get bombed to shit you know i think that's cowardly i think that the military people deserve a lot of respect you know some people like I've said before, some people's currency is respect. Like they want to be a respectable figure, sometimes appreciation. They get a lot of the like pride and, and the feel goods come from like discipline and duty and doing their duty to their country as they take it as a military thing. You know, it's often generational. So it's just different. You know, not everyone has the ambition of being the richest man in the world. Not everyone wants to have a hundred houses or something like that or like a ton of real estate. Some people just want to be respected. You know, they go through police or military or like, you know, blue collar work or something like that. And, and that's great. You know, I think it's just learning what your currency is early and then moving into it. And the other guy who, who might just, I want to make as much money as possible. I want to be living in Dubai, multi-millionaire. Your routes are going to be completely different based on what you value. What I value might be different from someone else. You know, but at that time I had yeah, very little experience and very little knowledge of what who I was and, and what I wanted. So the military for me was one way to, to learn that. And I don't, dis I don't, 
Like, you know, I appreciate my time in the, I don't think it was a bad thing. Yeah. I think you nailed it. And, and what you said about Jewel is perfect. Use Jewel as an example. You know how many people have probably asked Andrew and Tristan to go shooting? They'll pay for anything. Here's the difference. Jewel is a polished veteran that is a professional that has world-class skills in one of the largest businesses that, you know, big corporate pharma, right? He handles international transactions on a daily basis. This is a competent man with multiple supercars, houses, well-to-do, properly dressed, proper pro. That's the kind of guy that a guy like Andrew Tate is going to answer and say, yeah, I'll come shooting with you. But Jewel had to do all that work over a decade or more to become Satorial Shooter before he was a friend of Andrew Tate. So that's an even better example because it's outside of me for me to be able to kind of put in your lap as an answer. Is like this guy is a polished professional with a real life and really respect. Any man in the world meet, would meet Jewel and say, dude, I respect this guy. You got to become that kind of guy before you can ask to be friends with a guy like Tate. So, Yeah, they're world class. Each of them is world-class in their own attributes. 100%, yeah. Just going back to what you were speaking about in the military, we've seen, obviously, um, different opinions on Western societies, etc. And do you think that we should be bringing back national service to just kind of resolve some of these problems that we're finding now? I don't know about national service. I think that my idea about the future and things like that, I think war is in itself, this is my own view, I think it's a dying thing. Like, you know, the concept of world wars and that everyone's going to be in conflict and things like that. I don't agree with that. I think this Russia, Ukraine, I think that's the last of the old, old sort of ideas. I think that the war is going to be less of a thing and people are going to be much more united because the weapons are so powerful. I mean, it doesn't really make sense. Like everything's so, and globally, the markets and things like that, they're very intertwined. It's, it doesn't really make financial sense to be in a constant state of war. It's best that everyone at least gets along to a degree. It's not, doesn't really make sense. So I don't know about national service. I think that it's, I think it would be a good thing for men. I think it would be a good thing to, to give a lot of these like, you know, soy boys and things like that, some sort of grounding, you know, grounding in masculinity, be able to handle firearms and be able to handle themselves and things like that. But I think, yeah, it's, if I had to guess why that's not really a thing, I guess it's a threat to government. Like if there's people are competent, it seems that they're leaning more towards people being uncomp like incompetent and, and unfit and not really able to look after themselves at all. So I think that to flick it the other way, where people are ultra competent and fit, I think that's probably not going to happen. But I don't think that, yeah, I don't really know if I would agree with it because I think it's old old technology, war and things like that. I don't think it's really a thing. I think that's going to die out. I know people will probably find that crazy, but in my view, I think yeah, the markets and things just to intertwine. doesn't make sense to be in a constant state of war. No, no, I, I completely agree. We all want to peace in, in, in the end of the day. And the war room is providing that to, to younger guys who are jo joining up there. You know, they can be surrounded by high-level men who can help them along that journey. And it's kind of like a similar thing. If it, it's kind of like a university as such of, of, of brotherhood that can provide that when it's not there, in my opinion. And it's one of the reasons I did join the war, the war room. It's a, and it's even, even such a short amount of time of being in the war room, I've just seen the level of expertise of the guys I'm surrounded with. It's, it's just absolutely crazy, and it's something that you would never get from a normal from a normal network. So I can completely agree with that. Professionals, that, that's the main thing that gets hammered home to me. My life's changed massively. We had our first stream together. You joined right after. And yeah? I joined straight after yep. you, you told me to. And, and just, I, I can be a little bit silly sometimes. I'll admit that. And uh, the level of professionalism I've increased in my life and where my business has gone uh, off the back of that has been incredible. And the people I've met, because if you're a young guy, for myself, I'm doing okay for a, for a young guy. It's hard to 
uh, find other guys to be around that are doing better than you, um, especially for your age. But you, you guys are doing very well for your age, specifically well by any measure, but for your age, you, know, you guys are well, well and truly mailing yourself checks into the future. Like all this work that you're doing today, five years from now, you position yourself. You'll be way ahead of us because what the war room really provides to young guys, life is like if, if you got to get from here to Steven, there's landmines all over this table in life as you progress. Divorce will blow your fucking leg off, you know, fucking around drinking in bars and, and, and not training every day will blow your leg off. It, it'll cause you a health problem down the road. You're not going to be able to afford. You're going to miss so many landmines that would have fucked you up where you would have had to start over. And that's not even before you start making money because of the war room. It's about the things that you're not going to run by. You're not going to get your leg blown off in the war room. It's the example and the path that it's going to put you on. I promise you, not only your style, but my style, everybody's style is better. So people are going to treat you better. People are going to want to do business with you more. You're going to walk in in better shape, shake their hands. Like, for example, Jewel's event, go back to Jewel. Penetrating the elite is a world-class event. You know, you're not going to learn how to shake hands or the little things that a high-level individual is going to look for in a meeting from you. But in the war room, you get these things. It's finishing school. Our, our, these young men, we're polishing them in every way, and they shine like diamonds when they're against another 24-year-old. When you walk in a room at 28, people are going to treat you completely different after four years in the war room. It's it's truly the, the best men's group on the planet. There's zero doubt. Yeah, I think it's brilliant. I think that back in my day, if someone told me, you know, you can pay four or five K to just be around one millionaire, you can talk to a millionaire for four or five K. I would have thought, how do I pay this? Like, how do I do it? This guy's an actual millionaire. Like, I didn't know anyone that had money. Didn't know anyone that had real money. I thought the realest money was someone driving a BMW 3 Series. Like, same. This guy is same, a yeah. big boss. You yeah. Know? But bro. now- yeah, it's completely different. But that's, yeah, Warham itself exposed me to a lot of massive ideas. See, it's, I have this sort of reference that I use. It's like being a beacon out in the sea. And if you're out in the sea and you're a lone wolf, not much comes through. Like not many ideas. You don't really get exposed to new concepts. You're not seeing what people are doing to make money in new fields. You're getting very little information. But then you get in an area like the war room and now there's a lot of people coming through. It's like being in a harbor of all sorts of new information and new ideas. And you're like, oh, how's this guy making millions of dollars? How's this guy making millions of dollars? And you can kind of pivot your own business just to a degree to capture some of that money. Like you can put the bucket, put the hat out, capture some of that. Oh, I need to spend more time on marketing. This guy's having great success in that. You spend more time in sales and just get exposed to new ideas. And I find what I've realized, a lot of the guys who sort of have made it and things like that, they meet together at the end and then you listen to their story. It's quite interesting, but often it's very similar. You know, you listen to guys, it might not be the same journey at all, but it's had often the same pitfalls and things like that. It's the same process, but it's just a different veneer over the top, but the same development. A lot of times too in the war room, you have two guys pull up in a yacht, small yacht, but then they get together and build a super yacht together. Yeah, live together, move in. That's a massive thing. Yeah, it's super huge because the culture of the war room, like if I'm dealing with a war room guy, I know what to expect. Number one, I know how he's going to act. Right. But then number two, I know he's not going to snake me because of the the value of the war room. The war room is an insurance policy. I did a real estate deal earlier this year with the with um, the guy in Ohio and he needed two hundred eighty five thousand dollars. I said, I'll wire it to you right now. I'd never met him, but I knew he wasn't going to fucking snake me. And I knew the deal was good. So I told him, I said, hey, Jordan, shout out to Jordan. Um I'll wire you this money right now because somebody was trying to buy the property away. I said, I'll wire it to you right now. If it would not have been a war room guy, I would have never fucking said that. 
but I knew the ethics. And what is what is speed in business is trust. You have to have trust before you can have speed, right? And so the war room really brings a level of trust because there's a certain culture inside the war room that says this guy's never going to snake me for money. And if he does, he'd be banned from the halls forever. Yeah, there's super big consequences. So it's an insurance policy to make our team faster than the other team that might be a BNI group or a Vistage group where they're like, I don't know, and he's got to go talk to his fucking wife about it. Some dumb shit. Funds right? and that. They got a lot yeah. of legal work. Yeah, like, let me get my lawyer involved. Hey, bro, are we going to do this? Yeah, handshake. It was on Telegram. Boom, done. Do it. I bought that property from here in Dubai. And by the way, since then, he stabilized it and raised the rents on the property. The property is worth 25% more than when we bought it. Yeah, it's brilliant. There's a lot of opportunities in the war room. Like even me, the guy that I met that does my clips. I met him as a social media manager. Shout out to Jonathan as well. He does my clips. The clips guy is very talented. He manages a lot of the clips guys sort of work under him. So it's like an umbrella thing now. It's getting bigger. But uh, he grew my TikTok from zero. And now it's about 120K or something. It's six months, you know, it's... He's very talented, but again, he gets like I, I pay him for it. You know, at six to ten k a month, I pay him no matter what. So there's opportunities to for him. You know, there's opportunities for guys like that to get exposed to. So if you have a talent, you have a craft, and you join, you're going to be able to use it with all different kinds of people. You know, people that have money, people that have attention, people that have skills. You know, and it's always respected. You know, a lot of the it's hard to. I find like I've spoken to Jewel before, so so thoroughly again, and he's told me, you know. As you get busier, like a man like that, and I'm sure it's much more different than Tate's and that they're busier again, but the busier you get, the harder it is to get access to these people. Like even me, it's just, I'm sure it's the same with Justin. It's just hard to find the time. Like, you know, you look and it better be very valuable because you've got many other things that you have to do as well. So you have to pay, at a degree, you have to pay for access, specifically if you're a smaller, like, you know, up and coming guy. And that's not always going to be a thing. It's going to be a lot harder to get access to multimillionaires in the future that as the war room and things get bigger it'll you have to cement your position in there right it just gets more competitive because it's competitive itself 100 percent. and another thing too is like even even as we go up and, you, and you'll deal with this at some point you're going to quit going on smaller channels and he'll and the only way i'd go on a small channel at this point is if it was a war room guy you know what i'm saying it would only it would only be like if he has like less than twenty thousand subs i'm probably not going on this channel unless it's a war room guy or somebody that I respect. Like I just did a, a smaller show today. But that's because Tam asked me to do it. And Tam is not War Room, but it's still Tam, right? So it's like, okay, cool. Yeah, he's up there. I mean, him and Tate are really close. And I like him a lot. I respect him a lot. Because I respect Tam, I did the smaller guy show. But outside of that, he would have had to be War Room. I don't know. AG, you did with AG, right? I did AG, yeah. yeah. He's smaller. But he's he's, he's very talented, but yeah. the same. But same thing. So like, it's a tribute to who you are. You know, I think that with Justin, what I see is... He doesn't forget, you know, like if, it's not so much about just gaining. He still gives back. I think that's important as you get bigger and, and more. I think the Tates are doing it now with their charities and things like that. You right. have to give back. And the War Room's a family. I always say when a guy enters the halls, I don't say welcome. I say welcome to the family because it's a family thing. So if we have a young guy coming up and he's a War Room guy, we, you know, we'll probably do things to help him out, especially as an older guy. What, it cost me an hour, you know? Of course we're going to do that because we want to see all of our guys win because every guy that wins in the war room is a shining reflection to the guy that's thinking about it, why he should join the family. So it's our job as the older guys to help build that up in every way, and it's very fulfilling to do it. 
I'm winning when I get to do it. So it's it's a good thing. I read about that you you're still construction business and you 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 believe in bringing teams together. That's the 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 model to, to your success as such. So how can people that business business owners like myself and other people that are watching this video, how can they kind of elevate or motivate their staff um, in your company to continue their growth and and that that kind of you know how did you find the key to that success? I think you got to be a person that people want to get behind. And I think the way to do that is spend quality, quality time with them. If you can get on a level where you can be like, hey, now that's bullshit, but they know you love them, right? So it's nothing for me to put the whole team. In fact, before I came on this long trip, I took Thomas, the whole management team from Red Iron, a couple of the real estate guys to Florida, all on a, on a beach house in Florida up in the panhandle, uh, a place called 38. You can Google it. And we must have been 30 yards from the water crashing in. We spent five, six days there working, talking about everything. And so when people know you love them and the walls are down and there's no barriers in between you, you can be like, send a text message the next day, be like, hey, what's up with these calls? It's fucking bullshit. What are, what are we doing? Like, what's stopping us? And you can have an honest, grounded conversation because they trust you enough to know that you're not just going to up and fire them for no reason. So you love them just as much as you beef them. But it, it's not a disrespect thing. It's just like, hey, we're in this together. Like, what is this going on? Oh, these girls suck. Fire their ass. They suck. They're killing us. They're killing us. Not they're killing me. They're killing us. And so when it's a collective family thing like that, there's been situations like when my main, the main lady that runs a construction company, for example, it, let's say there's a hypothetical position where she needed money. And there has been. Boom, boom, pay it. 15 grand, don't care. Pay it. Bam, bam, bam. Now, how much money does that woman make me a year? Am I really hurt to, you know, take care of her? She knows without a doubt I'd empty the bank account for her tomorrow if I had to because we're a unit. You know what I'm saying? And, and when people can believe in you like that, it's a lot easier to get on board doing something collectively. Another thing I do is I cross-pollinate my teams. So I brought over the course of that trip, I had three teams there. But Thomas meets Renee, Renee meets David, David knows Thomas. And then all of a sudden, my whole marketing for online is now helping with the construction company and training up those people. So you start cross-pollinating people because it's really important that Renee knows who Thomas is because I just went on a tour up through Europe. you know. So she does. she's like, he's still working on Red Iron plus doing this plus the business plus buying real estate and everything's cross-pollinated. So it's this big family group of people. And so once those people start building relationships, then it gets really strong because now they're woven together and I'm the, and I am the, the one common denominator. So now all of them have more family and companionship with each other across the businesses. And now we're going on trips together and we know each other. And so, um, all the, all of those, all of those professional skills start to cross pollinate against each business. So my partner with the real estate, Steve, he knows Renee well. We've probably eaten, eaten lunch together 10, 15 times over the last six months. They don't work together every day. But if we do a development that needs a metal building, him and Renee are tight. So she'll send him the aces, right? She'll send him to our best men. And then me and Steve will profit more in the real estate deal because we beat the schedule in the construction. So it's those types of things that really help out. Sweet. One thing I wanted to ask you about, Stephen. I saw a story about you about the first time you set boundaries with a woman. I was, I was just wondering if you could tell this story. The camping story? Yeah. <laughs> it's a funny one, actually. It's a long story. We're going to get into it from the start to finish. Yeah, yeah. I think so, it's a great story. So I was seeing this girl and she did volleyball. It was early 20s. You know, I'd had a very sleepy childhood with women. 
you know, it wasn't until I was 20 years old that I'd ever actually been with one. You know, I wasn't a popular kid. I played Counter-Strike until I was 20 years old, played professionally, moved a lot. So I didn't really have much talent in that area with women. But then I started going, to, so I was a fat guy, or probably fat up until 20, but then I started going into the gym. And then when I started going into the gym, I started getting around guys and they started to tr teach me like, you know, this is how you bench press, this is how you do push-ups, this is how you squat. And then I started to see results. And I got results in the gym quite quickly. So within maybe six to 12 months after that, I was building a, a decent physique and being more confident. You know, that's the thing that I noticed the most about getting into the gym was the, the confidence had started to rise out. So I eventually met this girl. And back in the, these days, this is MySpace and plenty of fish and things like that. And I met her on plenty of fish. And she was the hottest girl that I'd ever talk, really talked to. You know, at the, at the time she played volleyball. She was quite stunning to me at that time. You know, I had very little experience with women. But I remember one time, because we were having sex, I remember one time I said something dirty to her, like a, this dirty talk, it was the standard, you know, it wasn't anything too crazy. And then she turns to me and like, obviously she's like, don't ever call me that. You know, like you, you can't call me that, you know, and then smooth things over, things progress. But that was like, you know, a, a moment where obviously once we go camping, I look back on it and I'm like, yeah, this is a massive red flag. And then after that had happened, she's kind of distant, things like that. And then she invites me on a camping trip. And I'm thinking, you know, to meet her other friends as well. So I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be great. You know, I'll go camping with her. We're going to this like secluded island. This is, the things are progressing, you know, things are going really well. But she brought her friends with her and there's probably six of her friends or something came as well. And then we got on the camping trip and it's on an island called, it's Bribey Island in Australia. So it's just a small, small island. You had to get like a ferry over. And then I remember we'd been together. So we're together in the camping thing. I'm seeing her friends, the people that I've never met before. And she's really distant. You know, I'm like, oh, well, can we sleep in the same tent? You know, and she's like, no. And then I'm like, oh, I want to spend time with you. She's like, oh, I'm talking to my friends like I'm busy. So I didn't really know anyone there. So it was really awkward for a few days. It was over an Easter weekend. And then fast forward to the ferry back. And she's like, oh, you come back with me. Like, we'll get the ferry back. And then she had to take her car back along the ferry to take it back to Brisbane. So it had to transport over. And we're sitting in the car. And then she's like, oh, I'm going to go get a drink. Like, I'm going to go get a drink inside, go to the bathroom, whatever. And at this point, I was pretty over it. I had all my stuff in the back of her car. Sitting there, didn't really have any of my own money. You know, I didn't really have anything, so I had to wait for her to drive me home once we got back to Brisbane. And then she walks into the coffee shop, or whatever that's on the boat, and then her phone starts ringing. Her phone's just ringing again and again and again. And then I looked at it in the console, and I'm like, "Oh, there's eight, eight or ten messages from this guy, Matt." And then I remember thinking, "I'm like, oh, I'm going to check this." And back in those days, it wasn't the iPhone with the pins and things like that. It wasn't that common that people put pins on their phone. So I was just like, clicked it. And then I hit the text button and like a bunch of texts slid up where she's like, you know, I can't wait to pretty much fuck this guy, you know, talking dirty talk and things to each other while she was with me, like theoretically with me on this camping trip. So then she gets back to the, back to the boat or she's back to the car. And then I remember just sitting there, I'm sitting there, I'm sitting there. And I didn't really say anything for ages. Like a, the car's waiting to go back there, like the car's waiting to, to depart. And then she's going to drop me home. And then I finally say to her, I'm like, you know, what, what the fuck's with this, these texts? Like, what's going on? Like, I'm here with you and you know that you invited me here, but then you know that I'm into you and you're still talking to this guy. Like, and then she's like, oh, that's my ex. You know, these are things that you shouldn't have looked at. And then she goes pretty much, I'm like, oh, this is bullshit. You know, like, I'm not fucking down for that. And then she goes, oh, do you want to walk home? 
like you're gonna you're gonna have to walk home or i'll drop you home you know so pretty much you have to shut up or i'll fucking like kick you out here and then we get about halfway home and then i said to her i'm like oh nah fuck this like you're 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 a slut like fuck this i'm not putting up with this crap and then she's like oh well like what are you gonna do get out of the car and i was like yeah stop the car i'll get out and i had to walk home it was like three hours three hour walk i took all my shit with me i had all my stuff on my back and my sleeping bag all that crap i had no money i had a, a phone that had no credit i was very poor at that time and then i remember I was taking the walk home and i was thinking just it just hit me like a satisfaction like went over my face because before that i was more like a pushover like with girls with guys i didn't like to like rock the boat even if something had happened like in school or get bullied or something like that i never liked to turn around and be like you know this is shit. like i'm not going to put up with that and that was the first time with a girl that I'd ever really enforce like boundaries where I'm like, this is unacceptable and I don't mind suffering the consequences of that. And it, since then, I've had that many a time. You know, you have to be able to, like, you know, when you disagree with someone, if someone does something that you disagree with and you point it out, it's like two swords colliding. It's not like, you know, people nowadays are scared of that spark, you know, that, that discomfort, that silence. You know, if you say to a girl does something in, I'm not saying that you abuse her, but you might just be like, I don't like that. And then to leave it and there's silence for 30 seconds or something like that. A lot of guys can't take that. They feel like that silence is like two hours and they try to break it too fast. Like sales, who, who speaks first is the one who's going to obviously get the worst deal, right? You lay it on the line and then you don't, don't say anything. You just wait and let that suspense build up and then they want to break it so they're now at a disadvantage. It's like that with women, I find. And guys too, you have to be able to point out bad behavior even if that means like a, a discomfort, like an uncomfortable moment. I think that with me, with that experience, that was the first, really the first moment of like that, that I'd ever really heard. But then I remember the satisfaction of being like, oh, I stood up for myself. You know, I said that what I didn't like and I stuck to it, you know, and then on the walk home, it just my confidence just swelled up. And then I thought I never want to live any other way. And then I said that I would pretty much like, you know, develop my body and do things like that. So I'd be able to enforce my own boundaries on other people as well. And I think that's a, a massive thing. You know, I think the strongest thing with me and the army and I work security as well and army and going to prison and being in that sort of lifestyle, I learned that you have to have strong boundaries. And that doesn't mean, you know, if, if someone disagrees with you, it doesn't mean like, you know, punching them in the face or something like that. It can just mean pointing it out and, and maybe you just withdraw yourself. You know, it doesn't mean that you just have standards and things that you won't break. Like you won't let someone treat you away because you respect yourself. But that doesn't mean, you know, that, you can't disagree with guys doesn't mean you can't disagree with girls you have to respect other people's boundaries as well to have boundaries yourself but yeah i find that that's a, a big thing that's a thing that i push on my channels like i push guys need to develop their boundaries i think it's part of a frame of, of who you are and then you can yeah maneuver from that i think that boundaries is part of the development like guys want to sort of traumatize themselves or something like that now and i think that develops your frame itself through hardship and things like that like developing what's inside like your character and your substance right like you you have to have yeah, the frame around you i'd say that's one of the main things i've learned from your channel because for, for anyone that doesn't know uh steven I, I, is probably one of the main youtubers that i watch and and really like your stuff and then obviously met you in person through war room and respected you and and can see that you're about it and the same with you justin um but one of the things i learned from your channel i believe was to never let a girl speak about her ex. N never let her speak about her ex. There's so many guys that will sit down with a girl and they'll let her just go on and on about the guys that she's fucked and all this sort of stuff. And it's, 
uh, I've got to a point now, which I didn't have before, but feels great, where you turn around and just say, that's disgusting. Don't, don't say that around me again. And uh, the amount of respect I've had from girls and kind of makes them horny because they, they like you putting it down like that. I think you're putting your foot down in a respectful manner. Like yeah. You're putting your foot down being like, These are, this is what I won't tolerate. Because I almost take that as some sort of test. Like, you know, they call it a shit test or something like that. I almost take it as, especially if she's talking about guys that she's fucked or something like that. I would, I've had like little relationships end over that topic. You know, like she's, a girl talks about another guy and you say, oh, I don't like that. And then she does it again. And I'm like, well, I'm out. You know, that's, it's really a, a zero tolerance sort of a rule. Yeah, you've got to be willing to walk away. Yeah, that's your biggest thing. Like, you know, you can withdraw your attention. That's, we all have our attention. You know, what you put your attention energy on is going to grow. And if you withdraw that, it's like withdrawing life. It's a big thing. As, as your attention gets more valuable, the concept of you withdrawing it, that has more damage now. That's more scary. That's your biggest thing as a man to me. It's with women especially, because sometimes, you know, if you're dramatic, if you raise your voice, you know, if you get like anything, that's still attention, right? Like uh, now that's concentrated attention. So some, some women will act up just to get that. It's like that bratty thing that they call themselves now, which I absolutely disgusted by. I hate the concept of brattiness. It's this conditional submission wrapped up in a new name. A lot of guys reward the wrong behavior as well. When they have their first girlfriend, they don't speak to her and then she, she gets on their ass and then they start replying, they start texting her back. It's watering bad behavior. Right? Yeah, I try consciously not to do that. What's most important to you guys now? in your life moving forwards from from where you are now 37 years old both of you for me it's not really about money as much anymore because i already have a lot of money you know i'm worth eight figures now so it's more about leaving a legacy helping brothers helping friends helping leave something for guys and also leave something for my daughter you know i eventually want to have more children and i think that with my own platform eventually i'll be able to platform them that's what i said from the start my idea of a platform i sat down with jewel and I talked to him, you know, when my channel was just starting out. And I told him, and, and I've told others as well, my idea is that I build my own channel and then I can platform people that I respect and things like that as well. And that we can kind of, you know, take over just a piece of the market and help each other out. You know, it's like climbing a high tree. You take a branch at a time and then, but it's easier if you're with a partner or a brother or a couple of brothers, because then they can climb a bit and help you up and you can help them up as well. And that's how you get really high through the network, right? Like you just climb faster you can climb longer and it's more fun it's not fun to be you know do it all yourself and you make all the money but then you're alone or you've done it all solo or you're like a lone wolf but it's just not as enjoyable you know the moments that are the best moments to me are moments that were shared with a friend you know like a moment where you do something together you know it's like you're looking out from a mountain that you've climbed like you, you've conquered this mountain like the first time i made a million dollars remember when i first i made a million dollars in the bank i was on parole i had like I couldn't do anything. I was in the house. I remember I just looked at I had a million dollars in the bank and I'm like sitting there on my own and I'm like, oh, I'm a millionaire, like in cash. And then I just look around and I'm like, nothing's changed. Like I thought that everything, like there'd be some, people would just come running in and be like, well done, like congratulations, you're now cash millionaire. But nothing changed. And then I realized at that moment that it's the moment shared with friends. Like I've had times where I've been sitting in McDonald's with a friend, you know, like it, we've had a fight in the club or something or we've got blown out by girls and then we go to McDonald's or something and we're just sitting around having like a cheeseburger and then I look back on that moment and I'm like, yeah, that's, that was a good moment. And then I've had other times where everything's gone great and I'm sitting there, you know, I'm at the Formula One or something, but I'm alone or I'm with someone that I don't really like feel connected with or something like that. It's not the same. It's all the moments that are shared 
like my favorite memories in life, my best ones, it's always shared. It's not something that I did on my own. And then, because it adds to the ambience when you have someone else to share it to and you can always talk to them about it and it relives again and again. So that's, that's for me the biggest thing. And that legacy, like long-term, making as many experiences, memories as you can. I think that's all we have in this world is to make memories. And if you get, you know, blessed enough and work hard enough, you can create memories for other people. But that takes a lot of work. You know, that's not everyone will do that. What was something you worried about, Justin, when, when you were younger? That Looking back now, it's just irrelevant. You just, young guys might be worrying about it. They don't need to. One of my biggest challenges coming up was worrying about what people thought about me. And one of the most impactful, freeing things that I have overcome is that particular thing. Once you can start living life based off what your goals are, not worried about what other people think about you, you will have a freedom that will allow you to fly like nothing else. Because regardless of what your stance is on any subject, there's a group of people out there that love you and will completely get behind what you're behind. So it's very important to find that group of people as fast as possible so you can let go of the people that likely don't care about you anyway, which is why, case in point again, why the war room is so important. I know that my values are absolutely in line with the values of everybody sitting at this table. And for that, I don't have to look over my shoulder at Denham Springs, Louisiana to get validation from them. It's a freedom like you'll never have. So for me coming up, worrying about what other people might think about me put handicap on me. It, it was like a ball and chain attached to my ankles that wouldn't allow me to fly. If you can cut that loose and get yourself up in a place where there are people that see the world the way you do, that can really and truly accept you for who you are and actually help you accelerate based off of who you both are, then you'll be on a path to happiness faster than anybody that, you know, really cares what other people are thinking and are looking over their shoulder. Was there anything specific you did that allowed you to let go of that feeling? Or has it been a gradual thing just as you've got older? and You have to be on the, no, so it, it's almost like hypergamy in a way, right? You're holding on to that thing until you find that thing that you can truly leave and let go to, right? Because like Steven said, nothing's ever fun when you're doing it alone. Sometimes you're with family that you probably shouldn't be with or with friends from your high school or your small town that you shouldn't be with, but you're doing things with them so you don't have to be alone. That is one of the major impactful benefits of the internet is that you can get out there and find a group of people that you align with in every way. And once you find them, then you should go all in with those people. And that way, when you find that tribe, then you don't have to be something you're not to any degree. And you, and you need to be very, very savage about making sure it's every level of you because that group is out there for everyone. And that's what the war room is to me. And how does somebody join the war room now, Justin? If they've just watched this, how can they get in touch with just you? Just get in touch with me on, on Instagram. It's Justin Wynn Waller 7 on Instagram. Uh, you can also find me on YouTube, Jay Waller, Waller7J on Twitter. There's a million ways to get in touch with me, man. So Sweet. Yeah, come on, can cowboy. Put, can we put Telegram underneath the video? Please do. Jay Waller 7 on Telegram and also Jay Waller support. Um, we'll have Thomas send Jay Waller support as well. We'll link those under the video. Yeah, do it. And then Steven... What's your channel called? Uh, Stephen Ronald Bell. I've got one on Instagram. I've got one on TikTok, SRB Speaks. It's a managed account. It's, it's not run by me, but it's run by a team that, that work for me. So they do a lot of good things. And then the same, yeah, the same as Justin. It's great to have a network. Just have brothers behind you. It, it makes a massive difference. People that accept you for who you are. 
it gives you a lot of confidence because no matter what happens, you've always got something to fall back on. I think you're moving from a position of strength. You're not moving from a position of fear or, you know, if it, this doesn't work with this people, I've got no one to fall back on. You've got people that already accept you. It's like already having money. You know, you move into a business venture and you, but you've already got money behind you. It's, it's less frightening, right? Like there's less to lose. And yeah, much the same as Justin for me. It's, it's a big thing. You know, brotherhood's a massive thing. I think it's missing. I think a lot of people since COVID and things like that, they feel like they need more of a connection to people, but also they've seen things with the government and things that, that have the people when they're united, at least in a brotherhood. Maybe if something happens and you've only got six people in your city, but sixes can do a lot more than one. I think that, yeah, War Room, it's, it's great. A lot of the guys are very vetted. They have a lot of meetups in real life and things like that. So you can see the person behind the, the avatar. Yeah, it's, it's a brilliant network. I think I need to give a real life example of exactly how the War Room has benefited my life in just such a short, short amount of time. So I joined up through, through Jack, obviously, who, who recruited me in through, through your team. And it was a fantastic onboarding process. So it's all on lock. Very, very good. And I went to my first IRL meetup this, uh, this weekend with you guys, obviously, uh, in Dubai. And one of the guest speakers was uh, Matteo Pitaluga, and he presented an absolute masterclass in, in marketing, something that I have never, uh, you know, never come across. And it's something that I took to heart. I made a lot of notes about it. And Jack actually witnessed this um, yesterday. I have, I have a camper van conversion business back in the UK, and I've realized now that there's potential to coach other camper van conversion business owners into turning their business uh, around because... You know, I've been in the industry for six years. I turned it around. I've put systems in place. Um, and I knew that there was a knowledge that I had, but I didn't realize the value of this knowledge. But what I used from this, um, this, this talk that Matteo put together was the, the concept of uh, playing on people's emotions and not playing, but using their emotions to pre present your product. And I literally took away that, that the blueprint that Matteo presented on the day and signed a deal with a coaching, uh, basically a 12-month mentoring program for this other business owner. And that was directly from the value that I learned on the day on War Room. So that's paid my War Room membership as such five times over already. And that's been two weeks. And that's not even, that doesn't even include the, the value that other the guest speakers that we spoke about, you know, the potions master, the health and fitness, testosterone, everything there. So the guys that are wondering about the, the value that they're gonna get for it, I can only recommend it more. I, I, cannot, I cannot recommend it enough. Yeah, what, what you closed that yesterday, it was very good. Probably $27,000. First ever mentorship call closed on the phone. It's well earned. Very, very cool. It's brilliant with the war room. It's all receipts based. You know, it's very, some of the other groups and things like that, I think that people can LARP and do things. But when you meet face to face, there's a lot of professionals in all areas. So it's, it's very hard. Like I want to see receipts. Like what, what can you do? What can you show me? What's your resume? Like what have you done? And with my background, you know, obviously I have background that I've been a felon. I didn't think that I would be as accepted, but people have been able to see that that's in my past. You know, that's who I, I more was in the past and I can't change that. But yeah, I live much more in the light now. And I think the war room itself has been very good for me to keep me being around guys like Jewel and other guys as well. They keep you accountable. You know, they, they don't let you fall back into that sort of behavior because you know that you have to be at this level to associate with people that have high integrity. You get challenged. Yeah, you get challenged a lot in the war room. It's not, it's actually not that comfortable. The war room's not a comfortable place to be because you, a lot of times you're coming in as a young man, especially for me as well. I come in, I feel most of the circles that I roll in, I'm the top dog like because I roll with guys my own age. And then you go into the war room and you feel uncomfortable and it's getting used to that feeling 
of not being comfortable and being around guys that are doing more than you that pushes you to that next level. But that's a respect to you. It's a tribute to you that you've got your subscribers that you've got. You are the big man in the rooms that you're in and you're the big man in your definitely in your age bracket and on YouTube you're doing great. So it's a tribute that you could drop like, you know, not yeah, an ego's healthy, but you still have to be able to challenge yourself and jump into rooms and waters where you're not the man in all avenues because then you'll become such a bigger man when you are 35 and 40. I appreciate that. Well, thank you both for coming on. It's been absolutely it's been amazing. Great, and I uh, hope you guys enjoyed our, well, our first podcast. Our very first podcast. Yep. If you want to follow Dario, if you want to follow any of these guys, check out the links below. You know everything that I do already. But if you want to check out these guys, they're down below. It's been a pleasure, chaps. Thank you, guys. Till next time, guys. Thanks. Good stuff. Worried you'll need to babysit your robot vacuum? Think again. Meet Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum with AI-powered navigation to recognize and avoid over 100 objects. It's the winner of five Best of CES awards. And Digital Trends says it boasts almost all the same features as robot vacuums that cost twice as much. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's E-U-F-Y.com. And discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799.